There's a lot at stake in this election, but investors have their eye on regulation in particular. Here's what matters. Live from our respective coronavirus social distancing outposts, I'm Lauren Goodwin. And I'm Robert Sarenbetz. And this is Market Matters from New York Life Investments. In this podcast, we, the strategists at New York Life Investments, will share insights from the multi-asset solutions team, what we think matters as we manage investment solutions. That includes Mainstay's Income Builder Fund, as well as individual solutions for our partners. By sharing perspectives and engaging with you, our listeners, we can all become better investors. Welcome, everybody. It's the week of October 19th, 2020. And since we've talked about politics and taxes and all kinds of things that aren't normally polite around the dinner table, we may as well round it out with a conversation on regulation. Oh, gosh. All right. If I get uninvited to Thanksgiving this year, you're in trouble. (laughs) Well, you would tell yourself that's the only reason you're not invited. Oh, wow. Well, I'm not even listening anymore (laughs) because all I'm thinking about is Thanksgiving dinner. Well, getting to today's topic of the potential election outcomes, a Biden presidency and and particularly a blue wave would make higher scrutiny of company and industry behaviors more likely. What I mean by that is regulation. Oh my gosh. I can already hear Nana bringing up all the regulatory stereotypes and fears at play this Thanksgiving. (laughs) Yes. The Democratic administrations are more likely to increase protections on things we like, like the environment and labor protection and fair business practices. But first, I think it's important to note that not all regulation is bad, especially when it isn't an overwhelming burden on the people and businesses that are typically associated with regulation. Yeah, that's a really good point. And I think it's an important place to start. We don't really know what the regulatory environment will look like under any of the electoral scenarios. It'll depend a lot on the government's priorities, such as the ongoing recovery post-COVID, and it'll also depend on the makeup of government. I'd expect that a split Congress scenario, for example, would mean that whoever is president has to rely more on things like executive orders and regulation to get their agenda to play out. So With that in mind, that idea that we don't really know what the regulatory environment will look like, let's think in broad strokes and talk about what could change, and then we'll get to the portfolio part later on. Oh my gosh, broad strokes. It sounds like we're about to get some of your classic style buckets. Uh, yes. (laughs) So (laughs) let's boil the regulatory issues into four buckets, Um, technology, labor, China, and the environment. Uh, Dibs China. I'm going to go first. So you've heard us say many times before that tough on China is a bipartisan issue. Joe Biden uh, has already discussed the importance of bringing critical supply chains back to the U.S. as a matter of national security. So that would probably be part of his policy agenda, which may follow the course of bans on Chinese companies and products. Overall, though, I think we'd expect a more multilateral approach probably in a blue wave scenario. And that means really cooperating with some of our allies in Europe and, and overseas. Gotcha. So the idea would be to have a combined approach on things like unfair practices rather than the U.S. just going after China on its own. 
Yeah, exactly, exactly. Although technology issues with China may still be considered national security concerns, and that would be a really interesting intersection with technology regulation. Let's go to the technology bucket next, then. I think that makes sense. And it's it's a huge topic. There's so much to unpack here. But the general gist is that we'd expect a Biden-Harris administration to take stronger action on two areas, competition and privacy. The competition area has to do with the way that big technology companies do business. It's hard to compete with a big search engine, for example, when they have more data over the last 20 years than you'd ever have as a competitor. And so technology companies might have to take more steps to allow more competition to exist. Maybe a big search engine isn't asked to break up, for example, but it's asked to scrub and share its data so that there can be a more equitable competition environment. Okay, so it sounds like that would impact technology and the tech sector in a big way, but it doesn't sound like you're talking about a big breakup of tech companies. Um, what I mean by that is the mechanisms for thinking about like Microsoft's antitrust law case in 1998 or other antitrust law cases, you know, earlier in, in the 1900s would be different for how we think about tech companies now. Exactly. But policy changes like this could still weigh on sentiment towards the tech sector at some point in the next year or two, which has, of course, implications for equity markets as a whole. Are you trying to jump ahead to the portfolio pause right now? <laughs> I think we have two more to go. Uh, so, but first you mentioned um, privacy-related tech regulation, which we should talk about. What, what did you mean by that? Yeah, so the privacy area of tech regulation has more to do with consumer protection. So stronger guardrails on the use of facial recognition or other surveillance technologies, that type of thing. Anti-bias is also a big part of that story with a potential for increasing accountability and transparency for things like algorithms, the way that they do searches for employment or housing or education. So when we talk about privacy, it's it's really that consumer experience and consumer uh, guardrail that we're talking about. Oh, that's super interesting. We'll leave our tinfoil hats to the side for a bit. And I think that we'll just generally agree that that's probably good for consumers. Next up, which is an important regulatory frame, is the environment. We've talked a lot about this before, so we'll keep it light. The Biden administration's focus on green energy and climate change would likely bring constraints for companies tied to carbon assets or fossil fuels, and that could benefit companies that are focusing on alternative energy sources uh, like solar, wind, as well as infrastructure projects and, and that kind of stuff. Great point. Love it. So that's the environment bucket as a whole. And so that brings us to the last one, which is labor. And for businesses, uh, this could mean higher costs. Minimum wage increase is high on the Biden administration's list if they were elected. But there's also a strong focus on support for the gig economy. So Biden's economic plan calls for an updated social contract that treats American workers and American families as essential. Uh, at all times, not just in times of crisis. That's sort of the language around it. So what that really means in practice is higher wages, stronger benefits, and fair and safe workplaces. So given the economic vulnerabilities created by the last economic expansion and then exacerbated by the most recent um, economic crisis with the pandemic, 
the Biden-Harris ticket may look closer at worker reclassification and protections to promote more economic security for workers. So if you were thinking about just a super simple example, your rideshare driver might have more rights under this type of a policy or more um, connection with their employer than they had in the past. Oh, that's very interesting. And I think that rounds out our list of all four. Now that we've done it, I'm actually a little surprised we didn't talk about healthcare. Nationwide, healthcare polls very popularly, and and I also have seen it as a big talking point at all the debates. What's going on there? That's super fair. And one of the reasons that I didn't make healthcare its own bucket in this framework is that it's a sector that's very likely to be impacted by a blue wave scenario or a democratic sweep, but there's lots of other changes that would impact the sector besides just regulation itself. So if we were to think, though, just about the regulatory components to add it into the mix, the types of changes that would happen in the healthcare sector would be things like consumer protection and privacy, the areas that we've touched on already with respect to technology. Okay. So those areas relate to healthcare and something like stopping surprise billing for out-of-network costs or, or big big medical bills that are, are surprising, that kind of stuff. Yes, exactly. Okay. Um, so it sounds like the due diligence process for assessing healthcare companies will continue to be complicated and driven by more than just one regulatory factor. Exactly. Now we can get to our portfolio pause a segment of the program where we give an investment idea. And the areas we've discussed have complicated and sometimes mixed implications for the markets and the economy. So this will be a good portfolio pause for us. Yeah. So if you think about higher wages and worker protections, for example, those could reduce income inequality and provide some economic stability. So you might think of those as a a good thing, especially for, you know, normal people. But it may mean higher costs for businesses. So there's always this dichotomy in how to think about a topic like regulation when it comes to the markets. Right. And then there's also the other dichotomy where, you know, an environmental regulation, uh, for example, could weigh on certain sectors like oil and gas industries, but it could also prompt innovation in in other sectors or industries. Exactly. And, And we don't know the extent to which these ideas will actually become policy. And so I think it's probably more helpful to think in terms of a framework, you know, how should investors adapt as certain things become reality down the line? Always with the frameworks. I'm rolling my eyes. <laughs> people who, uh, who can't see us. <laughs> if we can't draw pictures, then we have to think in terms of frameworks. So separate your views on regulation into their risk implications their sector implications, and then compare that with current expectations. If an investor is concerned about regulation altogether, for example, you don't know when it'll come, but you're expecting major changes and this is something you're really concerned about, then that might play out in your view on risk in the markets as a whole. You'd be concerned that regulations would weigh on what are pretty high valuations or maybe on a particular segment of the market where you have exposure. Oh, so a segment of the market then is where your sector perspectives come into play. So environmental regulation, for example, may have implications for allocation within the energy sector, industrial sector, or material sector. Or since we promised earlier, we'd mention it, regulation in the technology sector may favor smaller providers over larger ones. Oh, interesting. And then finally, now that you brought up technology, you'd have to consider just market expectations. 
Is everyone worried about that regulation? Is it already reflected in market prices? Uh, you know, we believe that investors should pay the right price for a security and regulation could change what that right price is for better or for worse. So investors have to ask what's baked into those expectations. But so I want to I want to take that back to the tech sector regulation that you talked about before that could ha- also have implications for the market as a whole. These are really good companies that have benefited from the pandemic tailwind when we talk about the tech sector. But there's also a lot of expectation priced in. And given that these companies make up a large portion of equity indices, a regulatory shift could be a risk for the market as a whole, right? Exactly. And so, again, thinking in terms of risk, risk on, risk off, uh, sectors, how you might allocate within or between sectors, and then relating those ideas to expectations, what might already be priced in super simple framework, but it's a helpful place to start. And where sector allocation is concerned, skilled managers can help identify which companies are more or less likely to be impacted by some of these changes and adjust their portfolios accordingly. So it's a great question to be asking your investment managers or your financial professional if this is a topic area that is interesting or that you're concerned about. Coming up next... On Friday, we'll get the purchasing managers' indices, data that give a sense of how businesses are feeling relative to last month. And over the summer, they were feeling pretty good, admittedly uh, feeling good compared to what was a very difficult spring. So as October has gone on and COVID cases throughout the U.S. are rising, it's going to be interesting to see how those figures hold up. I know investors are certainly paying attention. Oh, they definitely are. And just before we get the PMIs, we will see a Democratic debate on Thursday night. But I'm actually watching the continuation of earnings season. It's well underway. Companies are reporting Q3 profits and revenues. Last week, we heard from big banks who showed a lot of resilience in the quarter and some improvement. So maybe the bottom for earnings season is in. But now I think investors are going to be paying attention to the broader subset of industries to see how the pace of the earnings recovery is likely to take shape. That's it for today. We'll be back next week with more Market Matters. Let us know what matters to you. If you have a question or topic of interest, reach out to us on social media. That's right. You can send us your questions or highlight what matters to you by finding us on LinkedIn. You can also follow our views at nylinvestments.com forward slash blog. And while you're there, I'm Robert Sarenbutz. And I'm Lauren Goodwin. We look forward to hearing from you. Our podcast is produced by Milo Benamont, and our music was composed by the fabulous Zach Young. I'll now read our disclosures from compliance. For more information about Mainstay Funds, call 1-800-624-6782 for a prospectus or summary prospectus. Investors are asked to consider the investment objectives, risks, and charges and expenses of the investment carefully before investing. The prospectus or summary prospectus contains this and other information about the investment company. Please read the prospectus or summary prospectus carefully before investing. There's no assurance that the investment objectives will be met. Past performance is no guarantee of future results, which will vary. All investments are subject to market risk and will fluctuate in value. This material represents an assessment of the market environment as of a specific date. It is subject to change and is not intended to be a forecast of future events or a guarantee of future results. This information should not be relied upon by the reader as research or investment advice regarding the funds or any issuer or security in particular. 
The strategies discussed are strictly for illustrative and educational purposes and are not a recommendation, offer, or solicitation to buy or sell any securities or to adopt any investment strategy. There is no guarantee that any strategies discussed will be effective. This material contains general information only and does not take into account an individual's financial circumstances. This information should not be relied upon as a primary basis for an investment decision. Rather, an assessment should be made as to whether the information is appropriate in individual circumstances and consideration should be given to talking to a financial advisor before making an investment decision. New York Life Investments is a service mark and name under which New York Life Investment Management LLC does business. New York Life Investments is an indirect subsidiary of New York Life Insurance Company, New York, New York 10010, and provides investment advisory services and products. New York Life Distributors LLC is located at 30 Hudson Street, Jersey City, New Jersey, 07302. New York Life Distributors LLC is a member of FINRA SIPC.